Praise God. So thankful for Holy Ghost helping us the last three nights and have no doubt that He's going to help us again today. It's good to be here. I see uh, a lot of familiar faces, and I see faces that I don't know, which is very exciting because that means the church is growing. And then I see faces from other churches. I see some Wilsonites and some Bookerites and... I can't blame them for being here. Who wants to hear Brother Booker and Brother Wilson preach? I mean, my God. If I want them to know it, I'll tell them how. I'm just picking. I'm just picking. I'm just picking. We all know. We all know better than that. Praise God. But it is. It is good to be here, and uh, I give honor to all the fathers. And um, I give honor to your spiritual father. And you know it, but you need reminded of it frequently. You are you're very blessed. You're very blessed. And um, I appreciate Brother Buxton's passionate passion. He's passionate about everything he does, and I appreciate that, and I want that to to continue to rub off on you and me, because we all could be a little more passionate about the things of God, and I um, also appreciate, and I don't know if you realize this about you, Pastor, but I appreciate his ability to, to get something in the, in the in, in the sights and the ability to have tunnel vision. It can be negative. Tunnel, tunnel vision can be negative if it's if it's not used properly. But I, I've been around Brother Bucks enough to know that he, he's learned how to use it for for good use. And he's able to, to just totally block out the rest of the world and what people are saying and everything else is going on and just focus in on, on the goal down there and, and and that's helping us become what we are and and um, it's gonna help us get to where we want to go a whole lot faster. Praise God. Well I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm just kinda waiting around here. I've got a couple of things I don't think you want me to preach all four of these this morning, so. And you'd think that I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning, and I did lay back down a little bit, but you'd think I would have direction by now, but I just, my heart is so full, and um, I really need more than just this morning and tonight, so I'm trying to hone it down here. Exactly what we need from from the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Matthew chapter number seven.
like. Second Chronicles chapter number Corinthians chapter number twelve. We'll get I want to read this. We'll I'll tie in the other here in a second. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Verse number 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, but my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproach. I, I don't know about anybody else here, but I'm not. I hadn't got. I hadn't got here yet. I, I'm glad Paul has has arrived to this, but I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Maybe you've reached that place, but I, I I don't look forward to infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Verse number nine, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. There's a very powerful word. Watch this. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. Will I rather glory in mine infirmities? That word rather. It's a very powerful word in the text. I want to preach tonight or this morning on the subject getting my rather right. Getting my rather right. If you would, put your hands in the air right now and ask the Lord to talk to us for a little bit here this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, you got to get your spirit open. God wants to help some people in this house today. Hallelujah. God wants to talk to this church this morning. God wants to talk to this church today. 
Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you just now, would you just give him a little praise before you're seated? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. There are a scale of different opinions as to what the pain was that the Apostle Paul was dealing with, what he is referencing in. Second Corinthians chapter number 12. I personally don't feel like, I don't feel like that maybe it's any one specific thing. But by the way that he follows talking about the thorn in the flesh, verse number 7, by Following in verse number 10 by talking about the infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. I think the thorn in his flesh is a diversity, a diversity of many things. Uh, there are some that believe that there were physical ailments that the Apostle Paul dealt with. Uh, on top of the other things here that he mentions in chapter number 10. Now, verse number 7 says that Paul is finally coming into some understanding about the pain and the trouble in his life. And I feel and have felt the last 24 hours that there is some understanding that needs to come to God's people about some of the adversity that we're dealing with as a church and on a personal level. Paul began to understand that there is a balance. There is a balance to God's approach in dealing with me as a man. When I look at this story, the more and more I understand what the Scripture is talking about when it says, to whom much is given, much is required. We understand previously, uh, from previous writings of Paul, that apparently there were some things that God had revealed to him, some places that God had taken him to that they were places that no one had ever been there before. There were places in the heavens that God opened to the mind and the spirit of Paul that no one had quite ever experienced them on this level before. There were things that God allowed Paul to experience. There was 
There was a power. There was something different about the things that God was revealing to Paul. And Paul was beginning to understand in the midst of this pain and trouble that it's, it's, part, it's part of the balance because power without something on the other end to balance it all out is not going to work out. Pain, uh, power without pain, uh, on many occasions, if you look at the lives of generals, God generals that have lived even across the pages of this book that you and I have, if there is not trouble somewhere in their life to balance them out, regardless of how successful they are, regardless of how great that they are, regardless of how much that they do for the kingdom. There, there are always caves that are associated. There, there's always a saw somewhere. There's always a javelin. There's always an enemy somewhere that is trying to destroy. But there are many times that we, we look at this trouble and, and we, we deal with this adversity and, and we stand and we face the winds of the storms that we deal with in our lives and it seems so unfair and we don't understand what God is doing and where His hand is in all of this. I've stopped by to reassure you today. It's part of the prophet, the process of God bringing to fulfillment everything that He is going to do in us and through us. Part of the process. In fact, I haven't come today to leave you with bad news, but I want you to understand that there are some things that God has put into place that no matter how long that you pray about them, God will never remove them. Boy, that's going to cause people to run the aisles this morning, ain't it? There's some things that come, and it's just pure deep and devil, and you have the power to, to defy those things and to rebuke those things, and they must move at the command of your voice. But there are other things that God sends, and no matter how much you beseech Him, and no matter how uh, effectual that you become about that pain and about that thorn, God said, I'm not going to remove it. I have placed it there to bring power into your life. And I understand as you're dealing with the trouble and pain and the adversity that you can't see that today. But I hope when I get finished this morning somebody's going to leave here understanding that this crossed God's desk. The devil's not getting by with anything. God didn't. I want you to understand something. God doesn't miss anything. Stuff doesn't just get by God. You're going to have to trust Him enough to understand that if it came into your life, God allowed it to come into your life for a purpose. And I, I want to break the vicious cycle by the help of the Holy Ghost that some of you are in today of spending all of your time complaining to God about the trouble in your life and, and the lies in your life and, and the tongue of the soothsayer in your life. I want to break that vicious cycle in somebody's life that spends all of your time praying about your trouble and all your time praying about your problems and understanding that God may never remove it, but you've got a choice of how you're going to respond to the adversity in your life. Hallelujah. 
Somebody's got to get to the place today that you just leave God alone about it. Three times Paul went to God and he said, remove it. I don't like how it feels. I don't want to live with this. It's keeping me up at night. I'm having to wrestle with it during the day. But somewhere after that third time, Paul realized God's more hard-headed than I am. And Paul realized that my good, my good is in his mind. And God always keeps my good in the forefront of his thinking. And finally, Paul began to realize this is a power issue. And if the power of God is to rest upon me, I choose to glory in my infirmities. I choose to praise God in the midst of the adverse situations in my life. But even in the middle of spending time trying to get God to remove it, even in the middle of the frustration and the chaos and the pain, we see from this word, rather, that Paul is presented with a very pivotal moment in his life and his ministry. Paul is presented with a very critical season in his life. I believe safely I can say that Paul began to realize, I'm at a crossroads. I either stay angry about this, and I open myself up to bitterness, and I lose everything that I have, and I never fulfill everything that God has for me to be, or either I change my attitude about this. I want you to understand, you've got to get to that place that you say, my rather's got to be right. I can't continue to be bitter and angry and frustrated about this. If God allowed it, I'm going to respond to it differently than I responded to it. I can't throw my hands. I can't miss church. I can't stick my hands in my pocket. This is God and I'm going to praise Him because I know that my best is in His interest. He said most gladly would I rather glory. It's not just a choice that you have to make of how you're going to respond to the trouble in your life. Yes, it's very important that you make the correct decision. But you've got to understand that the very root word of decision is decision. Decision. It's the cutting away. It's for removal. So you've got to understand that it's not just making the choice to do the right thing. But the text says that Paul writes here to the church at Corinth and says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather. In other words, you can do the right thing the wrong way. Come on, can I preach here today? You can attempt to do the right thing and do it all the wrong way. Well, Brother Marks, I, I, I don't know why we're not getting through this and I'm not being blessed. I, I'm still coming to church. I haven't resigned any positions. I'm still in the choir. I'm still doing what I've always done. Well, maybe the problem is that you're making the right decision, but you're making them with the wrong spirit. You can do the right thing and do it all the wrong way. 
I don't believe that the power that rests here upon Paul was just because he made the choice to respond to the problem with praise. I don't believe that the reason that there's power in the life of the Apostle Paul is not just because he made the choice to do the right thing in this situation. I believe that the reason there's power that rests upon the Apostle Paul is because in which the spirit in which he the spirit in which he made these decisions. When I have come to preach to you today, and I know we have guests here and visitors with us, and I know it's Father's Day, and I wanted to preach a little Father's Day message, and I had several that I could have preached today, but I just felt like telling somebody, you've got to change your attitude. You, you've got to change your, you've got to change your spirit. You, you, you can't have a, a bad attitude about it. You've got to quit being sold up. You've got to quit having a pity party, but, because nobody's showing up to your pity parties but the devil. I said, nobody's showing up to your pity parties but the devil. Nobody cares about your pity parties. Nobody nobody cares about the wine parties you're having except the devil. He's the only one that's there. Nobody else cares about it. You're going to have to change your attitude. You're going to have to change your spirit. It has nothing to do with the situation. It has everything to do with your spirit. It has nothing to do with your atmosphere. It has everything to do with your attitude. Joy is not conditional. It is a choice. I don't know if you heard me. I said joy is not conditional. It is a choice. Peace is not conditional. It is a choice. Faith is not conditional. It is a choice. Perseverance is not conditional. It is a choice. Faithfulness is not a condition. It is a choice. What I have come to do this Sunday morning is to come and disturb your little pity party. Nobody, everybody's sick and tired of seeing you frown, including God. Everybody's sick and tired about hearing about how bad you got. We've all got problems. We've all got trouble. We've all got things in our life that are uncomfortable. It's time for you to get happy. About living for God. It's time for you to get your weather right. I'm not just coming to church. I was glad when they said unto me, Let yeah, I'm going to mess around and preach here today. I said, I'm not just going to, ha- to the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the This is not a drudgery. I'm not living under penalty. I'm not, I'm not living under oppression. I've been set free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Well, I'm I'm giving in this offering. I'm throwing my tithe in there, but I really can't afford to pay my tithe. I'm going to put my little measly dollar in there, but I I ain't happy about it because times are bad and and the the economy's bad and and I've lost this and I've I've lost that. There you go. You're doing the right thing by paying your tithes and you're doing the right thing by putting something in the offering basket. But there you go. You're doing it with the wrong spirit. You better understand the Bible said He loves a cheerful. 
cheerful giver. I put my pies in there, and I know it's bad, but I'm smiling because I know it's going to be better. I'm giving him the offering, and I know it's tight, but I'm giving him the offering, and I'm doing it with a shout and a smile because I know there's only one way up from here. I'm, when I'm on the bottom, there's only one way out of here, and that's up. Somebody's got to get there rather right. You can't just go through the motions. You can't just go through the traditions of church with a sour attitude. You've got to wipe that frown off of your face. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he said, if he never answers another prayer, if he never bails me out again, eternity, it will take eternity to praise him for what he's done for me. Got to get you rather right. Quit talking about everything that's going wrong and talk about the things that are right in your life. I've got a choice. I can cling to this pain and I can become a bitter, brittle, hard old man. I can cling to this stuff. I can, I can, I can give God the list of everything that I've done right from now until they put me in the ground and still live life as a bitter, hateful, cantankerous old man. I can hang on to what's happened in my family. I can hang on to what's happened in my marriage. I can hang on to what's happened in my finances, and I can become the witch of Endor. But who wants to live with the witch of Endor? We've all got problems. But it's that, it's that point where we say, I'm going to get my rather right, and I choose. I choose. I, I think myself happy. You may be fixing to take my head off, but I think myself happy. You may be fixing to throw me in prison, but you can't take myself. You can't take my smile. You can't take... Come on, I know it's Sunday morning, but I feel a Sunday night spirit about to get up in here right now. I said, there's some things you can't have. You might take my car. You might take my house. But you can't take my shelf. You might... There's some things that I possess... That you can't have. And that one thing that I will possess, even if I'm stripped and left naked, is I will always possess the personal power of choosing how I'm going to respond to these adverse situations. I'm going to move on in a minute, but... I just, I keep feeling like just driving this. I believe there's some in the building that you count the cost. Maybe you're on the verge of bailing. Then I feel and have felt very strong this morning in prayer that there are those that, oh, you're still doing right, but you just, you got a sour attitude about it. you got a bad attitude about it. Everything's... <laughs> like a porcupine. Nobody wants to be around you. 
Everybody, you feel all alone. You feel like nobody cares. Well, maybe, maybe you feel alone and like nobody cares because, because that, that stuff, just like happiness is contagious. That old, that old, that old refusal to kick sadness and oppression, that's contagious too. And nobody wants to be around somebody that's a sourpuss. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to be around somebody that's, that's sucking on their thumb because if they're sucking on their thumb, they're probably stealing diapers. And I, I don't like changing diapers. I don't like changing diapers. And so just like happiness is contagious, that, that stuff's contagious too. And, and it, it, it is the point where we love you, we believe in you, we believe you've got great potential. But nobody, nobody wants, if you don't have anything good to say and all you want to talk about how bad it is, no, it, it gets the place where people, people, learn to, people learn to avoid you like the plague. I, well, well, pastor's not giving me any attention, and he's not—he's—he's he's not calling me. Pastor's wife, she's—she's—we—we we hadn't talked in a while, and she's not giving me any special, extra special attention. Well, well, maybe the problem is they've reached the point that my God, when he preaches week in and week out, and, and when they when they have invested hour upon hour, you can only say the same thing so many ways, so many times. And there comes a point that God says, okay, you were the crutch. You were supposed to be the crutch. But there comes a point that God says, now they've got to learn to walk and so move the crutch. It's the point where you make the decision, I'm going to show up to church, and I'm going to show up to church, and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to dance, and I'm going to jump until I'm soaking wet. I don't care if it's been three weeks since anybody's called me or sent me a little card in the mail. And I'm not against calling and putting cards in the mail. But I'm preaching to some people that's been here long enough that it's time for you to suck it up, grow up, and act like a man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know I'm... I'm so far from politically correct, it's not even funny. And the devil reminds me of that all the time. But I'm just going to be real plain today. How are we going to put new babies in our nursery? How are we going to put bottles in the mouths of new babies when we got people that ought to be out of diapers and out of bottles and they still got all of our bottles and they're still using all... Come on, grow up and get it. Come on, grow up. Let somebody else take your bassinet. Let somebody else have your diapers. Let somebody else take your bottle. Come on, it's time for you to make up in your mind. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm trying to make it light, and I'm trying to take as much edge off of it as possible. But I'm going to tell you something. God's put some people in this church that you better hope to God you don't have to stand next to in judgment. You better hear what I'm telling you right now in the Holy Ghost. I ain't playing, and I'm not trying to be funny right now. You better hope to God. There's some people in this church, you better hope to God that you don't have to stand next to in judgment. You better hope that their last name starts with A and your last name starts with Z. Because there's some folks in this church that has got They have got their rather right. And they praise God through this. They dance through this. They shouted through You never knew anything was wrong. And it was because... Because somewhere they said, you know what, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but everything in the world can go south. But I...
gotta get you rather right. You're standing at a crossroads. It's the it's the place that you get it together or you fall off of the buggy. Do you hear me? That's how serious I feel about it. There's some people standing at the crossroads, and it's the crossroads of whether or not you're gonna be a great saint of God, or you're just gonna be one of those grumpy, cantankerous saints of God that everybody tries to avoid. I'm there. I don't take it a step further. There's some there's some others that have that's at a crossroads. Let's do or die. You're gonna have to change the way you're responding to this, or it's gonna jerk you under the water. It's gonna drown you. I wanna know is there anybody made up in your mind to serve God? I wanna know is there anybody made up in your mind? I'm gonna dance my way out of this dilemma. I'm gonna shout my way out of this situation. I'm gonna raise my hands until I overcome. You need to go home this afternoon. I don't care what the doctors told you. I don't care what kind of mental psychiatrist you've been to and what kind of what kind of disease that they pres- prescribed you with. I don't care how many bottle, bottles of medication are in your medicine cabinet that you you think that that's the only way you can survive. You need to go home and dump that mess down the sink and say, I don't need antidepressants. I don't need uppers and downers. God is my joy, and I'm going to learn to glory my way through this. You don't need those cigarettes that you won't cut out of your life. You think you need them cigarettes that help you to cope with the trouble and to take the edge of all the pressure. You don't need that stuff you're putting in your jaw. You don't need a little sip of wine on Friday night. What you need is a good dose of the Holy Ghost that says, It's Jesus. Jesus is the only reason I'm here. And Jesus is the only reason I'm living. And Jesus is the only reason I'm going to make it. wasn't at the height of his prosperity and success that he picked the pen up. It wasn't in a great moment of his life where everything was peaches and cream. No, his story and say it was when he was running like a ragged rabbit dog trying to dodge the death attempts of the man that he would eventually follow. But somewhere in a cave, somewhere in a wilderness, somewhere in a dark night, laying on rocks, the psalmist picked up the harp and he began to pluck its strings. And the sounds began to fill the night air. And he began to sing what you and I are so familiar with. This is the day that the Lord hath made. 
David's got a rather. David's got a choice. I know God. I know God. That you're in control. I don't understand all of this stuff. I didn't know. This wasn't written up in the contract. When I stood there and my brethren were watching me. And Samuel poured the oil on my head. And it dripped down onto my garments. I didn't have any idea that 20 years later I'd be running like a ragged dog. I'm an angry, bitter man. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next day, next week holds. But this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Come on, where's the rest of you are to spoke at today? This is the day. It's a bad day. It's not the best day I've ever had. But I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Get a mic. Get a mic. What about the seasons that we deal with silence? What about the chapters of life? Seems like our prayers are going unanswered. What about the, the times in our walks with God that we're living in the, the valley? What about the times in life where it feels like no matter how hard we pray that our prayers bounce off the floor of heaven? It just doesn't seem like we can penetrate the floor of heaven to get to the throne. What about, what about the times in our lives where we're needy? Lacking. No matter how many times we go to God and we spread out the sheet and we give God the list, it's as if God's taking a vacation. Where are you at? I know very confidently where I'm at tonight, today, and I know very confidently the people that I preach to. Some of you are so frustrated. God, why are you not showing up? Why are you not answering? Why is this happening over there and that's going on over there? And it's raining a few feet over there, but it's a drought right here where I'm standing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can stick my foot outside of the circle where I'm living, and it's wet. I'm standing right here in my little circle of life, and I'm about to starve to death. Come on, can we be real today? Those times of life, there's there's rivers. 
Those times of life, there's choices that have to be made. Those times in life where you feel like you're doing everything you know to do. And instead of getting you somewhere, it's getting you nowhere fast. Luke chapter number 7. Just listen to me. Pastor's going to read. I'm going to preach. Luke chapter number 7. Verse number 18. We're fixing to get real here today, okay? We're going to Holy Ghost fishing to get right down where some of us are living. Read, Pastor. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. Read. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Stop right there just for a second. John's in prison. Right. And John is dealing with some of the same issues that you're dealing with right now. In fact, John has become so frustrated with the fact of who he is, what he's done, what's been prophesied, what's been promised. That finally the frustration mounts to the point that he calls two disciples and he says, Would you go ask Jesus, are you going to bail me out? Are you coming or not? I mean, maybe nobody in this building's ever got to that place in your life. But I'll tell you, it's been a few times in my life I've gotten to the place where I said, Look, are you going to show up and bail me out of this? Yes, sir. Are you going to sit up there on your throne in your paradise and act like that there's nothing going on in my life? John had reached that place. I'm laying here in prison. You go ask Jesus if he's coming to get me out of this predicament, or do I look for something else to help me get out? I got to know. I'm tired of laying down here in this, on this cold floor. I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of fighting off these, these rats. I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of the loneliness and the darkness. I gotta know, Jesus, are you gonna show up or do I look for another? Are you gonna get me out of this mess? What about everything you promised? Yes, yes. We're not just talking about anybody here. We're talking about the man that reaches in his back pocket and he pulls out his get-out-of-jail-free card. What was written on that card? Well, there was a lot of stuff written on that card. I believe if we could have seen the card he pulled out, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the things he was dealing with in his mind. He was the cousin of Jesus Christ. Right, right. He was from a priestly descent. He came from a good family. He was the man that baptized Jesus. His birth was foretold by an angel. He was the forerunner of the Lord. He was prophesied twice. Isaiah chapter 40, Malachi chapter 3. There were prophecies about John. He was a Nazarite from his birth. He was strong in convictions. His message was strong. He hated sin and couldn't stand hypocrisy. He baptized thousands. He gave Jesus his first converts. 
Jesus Christ Himself said, John the Baptist is a burning and shining light, and there is no greater than John the Baptist. The disciples told Jesus in one place, they said, Would you teach us to pray the way that John taught his disciples to pray? I wonder if in that cold, dark, lonely prison that John ever flopped that card right there out on the table. Look at what I've done. Look at what you promised me. Look at everything I've done right. What about the fact, can't you come bail me out just on the fact that we're family? Pulled that card. Some of you might as well be honest today. I've been to prayer. I've lived in those cold prisons. I've been in those lonely moments. I've been in those dark times of life. And I've thrown that card. I've thrown it out on the table. But God, I'm baptizing Jesus, man. I've thrown the Holy Ghost. I have proof. You're right, brother. I've got this promise and that promise and this prophecy. And this man prayed over me. And this woman said, We're Hilltop Tabernacle. We're the, we're the only gospel-teaching church that I know of in Chula Vista. We're trying to stand for godliness. We're refusing to compromise. All right. We come from a church that believes conviction strong. We preach a sharp message. We hate sin and can't stand hypocrisy. Uh-huh. And he's flopping that on the table. Flopping that card. Flopping that card. I've been faithful. I've stood while others have fallen. I continued to give when others closed their fists. I kept shouting. Oh, there were others on my pew that were slowly sliding out. Where are you at? Where are you at? The audacity. Everything I've done, everything I have, everything that's been said about Jesus, you're the one that said there's no man greater than me. And I'm in jail. My God. My, my, my. You're the one that allowed the prophets. Jesus, I started your church. Those people you got that are following you around, I disciple those people. Right. You're going to leave me down here in this cold, wet, dark dungeon and have the audacity to not come bail me out. Oh, you're in the Holy Ghost, Brother Mark. You're in the Holy Ghost. You're in the Holy Ghost. John, you may have been the forerunner, but you've got a rather to deal with right now, pal. You've got a rather to deal with. And you better get it right. Because what if he never shows up? What if you die with that issue? What if God chooses never to heal you? Read, read, read. And in that same hour, he cured many of their... What? That just makes me even matter. He what? He, he cured many... Of their infirmities and plagues. I'm down here. I'm John the Baptist, the forerunner. I'm the one that was prophesied. I was the one that, that, that Isaiah and Malachi prophesied about. I'm the one that Jesus said was a bright, shining light. And I'm stuck in prison. And he's healing the sick. Yep. Healing the sick. 
I got to get off this platform and get down here where you're at today. What? Yep. We're not compromising and we're holding to the truth and we're the ones struggling when the people. Preach on, brother. When it seems like the people that are compromising and it seems like the people that are not doing right and the people that's cut to one service a week and they're driving these flashy cars and living in these big houses and they got... Don't mess with me this morning. I didn't get very much sleep. Don't mess with me this morning. The devil, the devil, he shows up today. It's a bad place to show up this morning. The, the gall, the audacity. Yep. What have those people done? We're the top tabernacle. We're the inner lighthouse. We're the rock church. We've sacrificed. We've given. We've been faithful. All right. Our babies are sick, and we're dealing with cancer. All right. And loss. And of evil spirits. He's not only healing them, he's driving out the devils in their life. Right? They're getting rid of the devils, and I'm getting all the devils they're getting rid of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Come on. You know I'm, tell, you know I'm telling the truth. This is real. And you're smiling because you know how real it is. Where are you at, God? Maybe you've never done that, but I, hey, God. Hello? Yep. Hello? Is there, is there a disconnection? Did, 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 uh, uh, I know that singular proclaims that they have less drop calls than anybody else. Maybe I've got sprint. Maybe something's going on here. We've dropped the call. Right. He's driving out their evil spirits and running them down here where I'm at. My God. Where in the world are you? Forget Waldo. Where's Jesus? Read. And on the many that were blind, he gave sight. Just gets worse. Just, just kill me. Just. Oh, it ain't done. Read on. It gets better. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Oh, what's this big Jesus going to do now? Read. Go your way. Go your way. And tell John what things you have seen and heard. I'm not only healing. I'm not only driving out spirits. I'm not only enjoying the liberty outside of the prison. But go tell that cat what's happening. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt this way, but I have felt literally like stuff has been smeared in my face. Oh, brother. Oh, 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 brother. And I'm going. I got, brother, I got a $20 hour raise. I got extra benefits. They give me two more extra weeks a year vacation, and I'm going.
Man, we just, man, we just, we just come out of the greatest revival we ever had in life. We prayed 250 people. We baptized 350 people. And we're doing all we can do to disciple and keep the ones that we got encouraged. And on top of that, we got all the other prophecies in our back pocket of the greatness of what God's supposed to do. And it's like somebody else is getting the fulfillment of our prophecies. Jesus said, go tell John what you've seen here. I wonder if that lit him up. He was already so upset that he, that he sent word. It's almost like Jesus said, you ain't going to smart off at me. You going to send disciples and ask me if I'm coming or not? When are you going to learn to trust me? Oh, buddy John's got a rather to deal with. Because this field, you can't leave this stuff, you can't leave this kind of junk festering in your spirit. No, because it'll get you, brother. You brother, I'm going to tell you something. If somewhere you don't make up in your mind to get you your rather so right, right. you are so right. It'll drag you through the mud. And you can, it'll throw you in the water and you can try to keep your nose above the water and it'll stick your foot on your nose. And it'll laugh while you lay there and gargle and drown. You are right, brother. You can't leave it stuff fester without somewhere making a choice. Mm. Read, Pastor. Tell him how that the blind see. Tell him. The lame walk. Tell him what, tell him. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. To the poor, the gospel is preached. You know what he's driving at? He's trying to tell John, I haven't changed. I ain't changed. I'm still the same. I'm still the same. I ain't changed. And blessed. Oh, I got a word for you, John. And blessed is. I know you're dealing with a rather, John. I know you're dealing with some choices. I know you got an attitude problem. I know the frustrations got out of him. I know there's all kinds of questions. I know you're lonely and dark and without direction, and it's real quiet. But I got a little help for you. I want to help you make your rather right. Read. And blessed is he, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. He said, what I got to know, John, is if I choose to wait, uh-huh. if I choose to wait, if I choose to leave you there forming something in your character, if I choose to leave you into that prison, that there may be a power, a tent, a house of power that dwells over you like never before. If I choose to let you die there, I choose. If I choose as your maker, if I choose as the one that followed the footsteps that you left in the set, if I'm the one that breathed breath in your body and I choose to let you die in that prison. What I've got to know is this, John. Can you live through the gory details gracefully? What I want to know, 
Lord God is can you handle your humanity? Can you handle your humanity? When you're dealing when you're dealing with humiliation, can you handle your humanity? I gotta know, John. I gotta know, John, because you'll never be blessed if you don't learn to get your rather right. If you don't learn to get your flesh under subjection. If you don't learn to get a grip on your mind. If you don't learn to handle your 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 humanity, I can't bless you because blessed is He. And I want you to understand when he said, blessed is he who's not offended in me. He wasn't saying, I'll deliver the man that's not offended. He's not saying, if you don't get offended, I'll come bust you out of prison. He's not making promises for a prison break. He's not giving any false hope to John that he's ever going to bail him out. The word blessed there is happiness. And so what he's saying is this. Hey, if you get your rather right, they may come get you from there. They may put your head on a platter. But what I want to know is, can you be happy? And we're all going to die. I'm not talking about a physical death. We're all going to die periodically in life. I want you to understand. It seems like the more power that a man has, the more power that a family has, the more blessed that a family is, the more greatness and anointing that a church has, the more she has to die. Seems like every time there's a Promotion to a new level. It starts with a crucifixion. It seems like that every time there's a veil rent, something's got to be crucified. And so what Jesus wants to know, can you take your crucifixion and not be offended? Can you take it with the spirit I took it with for the for the joy what you said can you smile with a knife in your back can you can you can you can you shout and refuse to be vindictive when god opens up situations where you could lash out and you could you could destroy the instrument that god chose to promote you to the next dimension. Can you... What is offense? Well, biblical offense is more than just feelings getting hurt. Biblical offense is... The word offend here when, when he's talking, when he sends word of the disciples. He says, happy is the man that's not offended in me. Offending, offense is more than a stumbling block. Offense is more than just 
whether the corners of your mouth are turned up or down. Offense is more than just questions of frustration. But the word offended there translates enticement into sin. I've watched it. I've got something that I have collected over ten years, probably that thick, studying the lives of people that had great anointings, great talents, and great abilities that fail. I don't know. It's just something that intrigues me. Some of them had truth. Some of them were very gifted and never had the fullness of truth, but I've studied their lives. I could name names of people that were once very powerfully used prophetically in the gifts of the Spirit in the apostolic movement that no longer believe this message. Some of them are alcoholics. Some of them don't even preach anymore. I've collected, I've compiled lots of material, lots of research. Without a doubt, every one of them. Every one of them, without a doubt. It didn't start with the inappropriate relationship with their secretary. It didn't start with the mishandling of money. Oh, I know I'm preaching here today. It didn't start with them. There's a group out right now. Hopefully the only reason you've heard of them is because of the news, the media. Hopefully you never heard their music. But the name of that group is the Kings of Leon. Last month, those boys were on the front page of the Rolling Stone magazine. All of the boys in that band are backslidden apostolics. Two of them are backslidden evangelist kids. The lead singer and the drummer were boys that I were raised with. was raised with. I cried in the altars with them. We played ball together. I knew them very well. Those boys are so full of irreverence and disrespect to the things of God. Their songs, their albums, names of their songs are in mockery of apostolic things. I know family. I still have some connections with family that are connected to them. They're weed, pot-smoking alcoholics. The lead singer, Caleb, last news I got was virtually every night, drinks himself to sleep. His dad used to preach revivals in the church I was raised in. In fact, he was one of the greatest evangelists that we ever had in that church. The longest revival we ever had in that church, his daddy held it. His daddy's a full-blown alcoholic. He don't go to church. He don't preach. I hope the things that I've heard that he's, that he's said, well, some of them have been quoted in magazines that I've read, but I hope, hope they're untrue. hope it's not the case. Dude could preach, bro. I, I can I can remember I can remember him preaching and just he, he'd be soaking, wringing wet, 
He'd work the altars to the last to the last little kid. Quit through praying. Quit praying. I always thought for years, well, the marriage went sour. It was it was because the marriage went sour that he turned to the bottle. You see, I, I'm 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 I've been crucified a few times, and, and I'm I, I like to gather information for other from other people's crucifixions to help me to be able to survive mine. So I'm, I'm constantly compiling, gathering. Am I boring you this morning? Is this okay? No. And so I I went years thinking, well, he just he had a problem with alcohol. Finally, it spun his life out of control. Just three or, three or four months ago, I finally found out that before the marriage problems, before the bottle, he preached a revival at a church with a lot of potential. In fact, the bookers are here. I think somehow their dad even has connections to that place. But church with great potential. Man, of their pastor that was was old, about to die, and he set for the follow up down, the follow up down, and he, from my understanding, it was mapped out that the evangelist was to stay there and eventually take that church. I don't know what happened, but that didn't happen. He got offended. I had someone very closely associated with the situation that said after that thing imploded that he was never the same. Offense, if it's not handled, opens a door to sin. Was he offended at the pastor? I'm sure. Was he offended at the situation? I'm sure. But offense! You'll never have the power to keep it contained with one subject. If it's not dealt with, you can't contain the offense just at that pastor or contain the offense just at that situation. It'll happen. It'll spread outside of that subject. And before you realize it, and you may live in denial, but you become offended at God. It's a stumbling block of fence that has left undealt with, unresolved. It's a stumbling block. It's a, it's a place where, where you're vulnerable to be pulled in. Pulled him to sin. Story after story. Great men that I could name. Some of those men, one of those men that I could name. Everybody in this place has probably heard his name. He no longer preaches this message. My God, I don't even know what he believes anymore. But he was like a brother to me. And I know where it happened. We talked about it. And everybody says, well, it's because this man got his things in him. And it's because this man 
after his dad died, that this, this elder that had committed apostasy, that this elder had pulled him in, and, and because of that attention, that that's the reason. No, no, i got news for you. The reason that he was pulled in and enticed by that man that had apostatized is because his feelings were hurt and he was offended. So when you're offended, it's, you're so vulnerable to anything that reaches for you. And I know I've, I've drug it to the bottom. I understand that. But I was curious one day. I've got it on my computer if you'd like to see it. I pulled up. I got a little, I've got a little Webster's Dictionary on the computer. And I thought, I just want to see what offense means. And so I, I'm reading down through there. And it's just like I thought. It had a lot of the definitions that, that I assumed that were related to offense. And I'm a, just a few minutes from closing. I'm almost done. And I'm reading down through there. And, and, and at the bottom, there's always syn- synonyms. And I'm reading through the, uh, the synonyms of offense. And very rarely, but occasionally, that program will give me an anonym. And I, I wasn't looking for something from Webster's to preach until I got to the bottom of the page. And it had A-N-T colon. And I promise, I promise to this church... Past the colon was the word P R A I S E. Webster's dictionary says that the anonym, the opposite of being offended, is pray. Wait. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you're going to have plenty of time to shout before we get finished. Webster's Dictionary says that the opposite of being offended is praise. And when that hit me, the Word of God and everything, the, the, the limited knowledge that I have from the years I've studied it, immediately I began to pull stuff out of files in my mind. And I began to realize... Sitting cross-legged in a pile of burning ashes, boils on his skin, his house destroyed, his kids are dead. I'm going to preach, you hear me? I'm fixing to preach, right? Sitting there with a piece of broken pottery in his hand, scraping, scraping the boils that they would bleed a little bit, that he might get a little relief. And a wife in his ear that said, curse God and die. Humiliated. He went from the top to the bottom overnight. He's got a rather blood running down his legs and chest. Sitting there, his wife saying, Just curse God and die. Satan has said just a little bit prior to this, he, The only reason he's serving you is because of all of this stuff. He serves you for naught. That's what he said. He said, if you, in other words, what Satan was saying is that if you take all this stuff away, he quits serving you. If you, if you take all this good stuff away, you take all the blessing away, he wouldn't praise you. He, he wouldn't be so faithful. He, I got a rhythm. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm miserable. I'm hurting. I don't understand. I got all kinds of questions. But the Bible records that somewhere he got his rather right because he picked his head up and he looked into the heavens and he said, Naked I came into this world and naked I may return. But bless it. Bless it. 
Are you hearing me this morning? He'll stop. Bless it. It's the opposite of offended. I can't be offended. i got to praise Him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. Are you hearing me? You sang that good cutting edge worship song that didn't really know what you were saying. He gives and takes away, but my heart will choose to say, listen, blessed. I could be offended. I could get my feelings hurt. I could live in frustration. I could have bitterness. But God, I want you to know, I choose to praise you. I choose to magnify you. I choose... Anytime you're dealing with stuff, there seems to always be that little voice that says, ah, just curse God. Oh, it doesn't say it just like that. The devil, he's, he's a little more sly than he was. He's, he's got a few more years on him, so he doesn't just say curse God and die. But now that little voice says, you know, you had it better off in the world. It ain't worth it. Just, just bail out. I mean, this living for God stuff's not getting you anywhere. You're dealing with more hell than you've ever dealt with in your life. It surely can't get any better. Let's just. Gotta get you rather right. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Paul and Silas. They weren't there because they'd done something wrong. They'd thrown in prison because they'd done something right. It's not like I'm preaching to people that's dealing with junk because it's just consequences. I mean, there's some situations. There's a time for, I believe man reaps what he sows, but I'm not preaching about that. I'm preaching about the situations that cross our paths in life that are, they have nothing to do with consequence. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the oil may fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet, will I rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Yet. Why are you raising your hands? This is how I choose to respond. Why are you lifting your voice? This is how I choose to respond. 
Why are you jumping up and down on Sunday morning? Because this is how I choose to respond. Why are you running the aisles? Why are you dancing? This is... This is... This is how I've... This is how I've chosen to respond. I want you to understand something before you move. God is watching this service. I don't know how you've responded. I don't know how you're responding. I don't know what you've said and done at this point, but I know God's saying, okay, show me. I'm watching. Show me. Show me. I don't believe God's just the only one watching. Believe the spirits of hell that would like to they'd like nothing less than to completely destroy you. I believe they're watching this service. I got my rhythm right. Holy slave Yeah, what does he mean there? I never realized this the other day, but this is really what he means. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What he really means by that word yet is even more. Well, I trust you. Yet. Holy slay me! Even more will I trust you. Why? Because Job had a revelation. It ain't mine. God gave it. God take it away. He took it away. Do you know that when you read the book of Job, that it's nothing more than a chronicle of one, one man that went from one dimension to another? Basically, you are reading the story of God taking a man from one dimension to another. But the reason that man was able to go from one dimension to another is because there were several times throughout that story that he had to correct his rather. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yet will I trust him. And he gets down to the end. He's right on the edge of God giving him more than he's ever had before. And he's presented with yet another rather. But the Bible says that when Job forgave the instruments. Why do you call them instruments? They were enemies. No, they were instruments. God used those men as instruments. The Bible says that when he got that rather right to forgive versus being bitter, 
Not until, but then, the Bible says that he turned the captivity of Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I'm asking you. If you really believe the preacher this morning that God's looking to see this morning how you're going to choose to respond from this point forward, would you leave this building without filling this altar? I want you to stand to get as many people in it but would you, as possible. But would you leave here if you really knew God was looking? If you, really, if you knew that the, that the adversary was... Come on, I know this is not your typical Father's Day message. I came to the pulpit struggling with that. I understand that. I know in most churches in America today, there's something being said to our fathers. Look at me. This may seem really crazy. But I'm going to tell you what I've been doing. Since the Holy Ghost gave me this periodically, when I'm going, do you know, listen to me, do you know that God never promised that He would be fair? Do you understand that? It hit me like a Mack truck sitting in a funeral. Bishop said that a couple of weeks ago. God never promised He'd be fair. But He did assure us He would be just. He did assure us he'd be just. And so when I'm dealing with things that seem unfair, I, I do it all the time. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. But when it really gets tight and, and, and the pressure's on and I'm, I'm dealing with the frustrations, just like John was dealing with them, I take my finger just like this, as if he needs to hear it. But this is what I do because I'm the one that needs to convince myself, not, as, not though he needs to hear it. And I say, God, you are right. You are right. You're right. And there's been some times that it was almost humorous because I didn't, I thought he was all wrong. You're right. God, you're right. You're right. Don't feel good. Don't understand it. It's quiet. It's dry. It's cold. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I'm sick. I'm restless. I'm spinning. I'm still reeling from the effects of Being blindsided, but you're right. You're still right. You're still right. You're right. 
Right now. Right now. I want you to show God. Show the devil and show God how you're going to choose to respond to this that's going on in your life. Come on, all over the building. You respond. You show God how you're going to respond. Come on, you've made more noise than that out of frustration. You've made more racket than that out of frustration. Come on. What about some volume in your praise? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed. Blessed. Oh, come on. You got to do more than that. You got to convince God. You got to let the devil see.